Jamie Winship has decades of experience bringing peaceful solutions to some of the world's highest conflict areas. After a distinguished career in law enforcement in the Metro Washington, D.C. area, Jamie earned a MA in English and developed a unique process called the Identity Method. This process of identity transformation is key to resolving inner conflict and acquiring new levels of learning and creativity in any field. His unconventional efforts to bring about societal and racial reconciliation led him to Indonesia, Jordan, Iraq, Palestine, Israel, and now Seattle. Jamie has worked with leaders in professional sports, business, education, law enforcement, government, nonprofit, and other sectors. Jamie and his wife, Donna, are co-founders of its corporate arm, providing training and consulting in the transformative power of living fearlessly in your true identity. The stories Jamie shares are amazing, but even more than that, he has a way of bringing people into a place of discovering or remembering their true identity. I cannot wait for you to hear my conversation with Jamie Winship. To overcome means to defeat or prevail over. To succeed in dealing with a problem or difficulty. To overpower, conquer, vanquish, and triumph over opposition. We are all overcomers. In season three of Man Camp, we are sharing the stories of men who faced trials head on, overcame, and came out on the other side strengthened by the journey. Join us as the hope found in these stories move us to action, to risk, find courage, step out again, and embrace our call as overcomers. Join the camp. This Man Camp episode is brought to you by our amazing partners at World Vision. As you can tell, we're big fans not only of this organization, but the incredible work that they are doing all over the world. And we want to invite you to be a part of what they're doing to change not only children's lives, but their whole community. It's really simple. All you have to do is text Man Camp to 56170. Thank you, World Vision, for making this podcast and all of the Jesus Culture Podcast Network podcast possible. We're so honored to partner with you. All right, well, welcome back to the Man Camp Podcast. We have with us Jamie Winship. Actually, Jamie, I met you virtually from a friend of mine, Gabe Fitzgerald, who actually listens to this podcast. He was my neighbor, actually, before we moved to San Diego. Uh So thank you so much for taking the time and being willing to jump on the Man Camp Podcast. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. Oh man. Well we're we're really grateful to hear your story. Um I, I actually got to I was telling you this here, some of your story in listening to it was like a series you were teaching at a, a retreat or something on identity, which is a huge part of your ministry and um identity exchange, which is your ministry. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but I got to hear some of your story and it was amazing. And I, as I was thinking about season three, I'm like, man, people need to hear Jamie's story. And obviously this message of identity, because when we talk about kind of this theme of overcoming, um, identity is a huge, huge part <laughs> of uh, right. our life. And I, I would say, and, yeah. and you, you're an expert on this, and you, you, as you share, like a lot of the symptoms or the things we deal with, if you get to the core, identity is is there. But before we jump into that, do you mind just sharing some of your story? Because um, I found myself so engaged just listening to your journey. It's crazy, the stuff that you've done and even how you end up doing what you're doing now. 
mm-hmm. with Identity Exchange. So can you kind of, I mean, kind of go way back and start with some of your story and how you got to where you're at? Yeah. So I, I'm from the Washington, D.C. area. That's where I grew up. And just so people understand the way I talk about this topic of identity. So my mother um, was was a very religious, very strong, sort of legalistic Baptist. And my father was um, a wayward Catholic that was pr- kind of into mysticism of sorts. And so so the, me and my brothers and sisters grew up in this sort of sort of interesting one extreme of, you know, you're not allowed to go to movies, listen to bad music to my dad who was exploring like who were the magicians in that that took on Moses in front of Pharaoh and where do they get their skills from? So it was this so, so one of them was looking at the Bible as a prohibitive, you know, rule book and the other was it's it's access into the dark arts. So wow. it was wild. Anyway, growing up in that, like not not really feeling comfortable in either side of that, but being kind of asked to make a decision, are you going to be, you know, a Christian or whatever my dad called himself at the time? And so um, I didn't really like either. I didn't like either camp. I didn't like either either sort of viewpoint. Anyway, so in eighth grade, um, uh, I, I broke the rules of my mom and I snuck into a movie, which we weren't allowed to go to. And I just decided I'm gonna. So I was 14. I'm gonna go sneak into a movie. It's a little bit of peer pressure involved, but do you remember what movie it was? It changed my whole life. It was the movie Serpico. Okay. Which is was um, Al Pacino. I think he won the Academy Award for it. And so this is 1974. Wow. And um, yeah, and so I, it, and it was R rated. So not only I didn't know what the movie was. I just want it was just the local theater of our of our neighborhood, and I just snuck in and in the sitting in the back row and it's and it starts and it's this true it's the real story of police new york city police officer frank serpico who uh was this super noble young innocent new york city rookie who just wanted to be a good cop because his family were cops and so but he learned very quickly that his squad was on the take and he didn't want to participate and so he he didn't he, he didn't turn anyone in he just wouldn't take any money so then he was suspicious and the whole story is how, because of him, the NAP commission forms and police um, corruptions investigated on this huge scale. And he ends up being set up by his own squad and he's, he's shot in the face and his squad won't help him. And so that's the movie. Frank Serbica is an amazing dude. He's, he, he lives in Switzerland now. I think maybe he's back in New York these days, but anyway, that's the movie. And so I'm sitting there watching this movie and I'm and uh, and while it's a, it starts with him being shot, and then it goes backwards in his life. But I'm watching this movie, and like something's happening inside of me that I can't explain. Like it's, I'm like, I just start crying. And I'm just so moved at such a deep level by the whole movie. And what's odd is, uh, is I like, I know that in movies are bad, sinful. Hmm. So I can't tell what's happening inside of me because it's so beautiful and deep and profound it can't be God because God can't come in here and it's an R rated movie. So it's like, there's no way extra bad. (laughs) (laughs) I'm extra, not I'm extra, not near God. (laughs) And so, uh, but I, but I know that this is like the most profound thing I've ever experienced. And so I, I have this sense that story, you know, is that that's calling me. Hmm. It's a call. 
And so the movie's over and I actually get up and go forward because that's what you do in an independent Baptist church. Yeah. And I went forward at the end of the movie up, up to the front and I just stood there crying and I just said to God or whatever, I didn't think it was God, but I, this is who I am. I'm Al Pacino. I'm Serpico. I'm New York city cop. And I just knew that's what I was going to do. That's, that was what I was going to do with my life is be a police officer. Wow. Eighth grade. Four. And I've never changed anything from that day. And I'm 61 now, never veered from that commitment. The strange thing was I didn't know it was God then. Wow. Like my understanding of God is he doesn't do this. This God would not do something like this. It would be hard. It would be distasteful. Whatever it was, I wouldn't like it. <laughs> you wouldn't enjoy it. <laughs> no, it, would, it wouldn't go that deep and make me just weep at the beauty of it. Wow. Even though the movie was dark and brutal and, and it was about like, if you're a good guy, you're going to get run over by the system. <laughs> That's what the movie was about. Anyway, so, so at 14, I just, decided, I just said to whoever was up there, I'm doing this. I, I, I hear the call. I'm answering it. I know this is me. And so much later, you know, way later when I was in senior in English and then in university, I realized that the, the story was naming me, that that's, that's the vehicle. It was a good story, a good poem, a song. It, it calls your name. And that's why it moves people deeper than any kind of way they categorize themselves. It cuts through all of it, the naming process. Yeah. And so anyway, through high school and all, I didn't get in any trouble I, I, because I knew I was going to be on a polygraph one day. And so from age 14 until I went into the police academy, I lived my life to pass a polygraph and get into a police academy. That's incredible. Which is helpful now when we're like, I just spent the last couple of days with a bunch of middle schoolers and I'm telling them like, the reason that you, that life is so difficult is because you have no sense of identity. Yeah. And so you don't have anything, you have no goal, you, have, you don't have anything directing you and you're getting your identity from your friends and whatever. And that, that, that's nothing to keep you from out of trouble. Yeah. But a real identity will just, it just guides through everything. And so, yeah. And then, then when I was uh, in high school, uh, I, I played sports, but I didn't really like sports. I was much more of a literary person, but I played sports because my dad liked sports and because I wanted just to stay in shape. And, uh, and then in my senior year, I was in a wrestling tournament accident and ha had to go in for surgery. And I was positive that I wouldn't be able to pass a police physical at age 17. And so 14 to 17, I'm doing everything I can, preparing myself to go to university, get a degree in criminal justice, get into the police academy in D.C. Um, and I have this, this accident and I have to go into emergency surgery, wake up the next day. I'm devastated. The first thing I asked the doctor is, can I? Can I run? Can I, you know, pass a police physical? And he said, I don't know about the police physical, but you're not playing sports again. That's finished. Wow. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm not going to pass a physical. Like I've been protecting my life and doing everything right. But this weird, you know, I was wrestling this guy and he, it's a, he snapped my leg. And, and so I was horrified and devastated. And so this physical therapist comes in and she's sitting next to me and she says, uh, I asked her about my leg and she says, she goes, really, you know, that your leg is going to heal. The, the issue is going to be for you is your bitterness. That's what she said to me. Oh my goodness. Wow. And that re really made me mad. And she said, legs heal, bones heal, muscles heal, hearts don't heal unless you pay attention to them. And then she started to talk to me about Jesus. Wow. And I was so mad because the only, my only reference point for Jesus was the religion of the of Baptist, 
hardcore. And I, I just cussed her out and I just cussed her out. And so I wouldn't let her talk. I just kept calling her names and cussing her out. And she stands up and she walks to the door and she looks back at me and she says, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. And she came back the next day, like we had never met. And she just started again. She said, let me tell you, I'll work with you on your leg, but the hardest thing for you that you need to get, that's going to hurt you in the future is your bitterness, your anger. And she started again. And I cussed her out again. Anyway, she came back for five days. And about the third day, I realized, I real, I was 17. I realized this woman who, who I later found out is 20, was 27. She was 27-year-old single mom from West Virginia that worked her way through nursing school. And all of my anger, I was just puking on her. And she could just absorb it and come back the next day like nothing had ever happened. And so... So she's the one, although she doesn't know it. I don't even know her name. I've never, I've never known her name. I don't, I went back to find her 10 years later. I've never been able to find her. But when I was discharged from the hospital, I knew because she insisted on talking. She kept saying to me, Jesus is the one that can heal the inside of you. That's what you need. The rest of you will come. But even if you, I told her, you know, I want to be a cop. And she's like, if you want to be a good cop, you got to be healed on the inside. Wow. And so then I realized she was more than a nurse. She was a healer. I, they're, one's a vocation, one's an identity. So there were lots of good health professionals in that hospital that talked to me. She's the only one that tried to heal me. And I, and I knew it, she was different than the other ones. She was as good skill-wise, but she was doing something more. And I knew that the reason she was like that was because of her relationship with God. And so I said to God, I prayed when I got discharged. I said, God, can you teach me to be a police officer like she's a nurse? Like anyone can be a good police officer, but not everyone, not everyone can do what she's doing. Like she's forgiving me like this. I don't know why. Why? And she keeps coming back to me and she's her, her love is absorbing my hatred. If I could do that as a police officer, that would be unbelievable. So I realized that God wasn't, he, he wasn't trying to like give me information about something. He was demonstrating it to me, which is the only way God ever works. He demonstrates things. He doesn't send books to you to read. He demonstrates it. And so that woman became, Serpica was the first model for me, but she was the next one. And so when I so went to college and um, met, met, you know, more people that really affected me, met my wife um, and then graduated and went straight into the police academy, went to love the police academy, loved every second of it, um, went through, qualified at the range the day the, the graduation, qualified at the range, jumped in the car and went and got married that day in a synagogue in Richmond because my wife is Jewish. Wow. And so she had the rabbi standing by. Drove up there, got married, went on a two-day honeymoon, and went to my first midnight shift. Wow! <laughs> and it was and getting out at the midnight shift, I was like so grateful to finally be there. It's twenty-three, you know, I'd been waiting since I was fourteen. Work go, going to my first midnight shift at the precinct, and I said to God, "Let me be a police officer like she was a nurse." That's how I started in the police. Went through a year of probation, which, you know, my training officer was great. He's mean as heck. But, <laughs> um, but my question in the police department was, I learned really quick, you're not allowed to share your faith. Like you're not. It's a terminating offense. So, so then my question to God was, is there a way to share your faith 
without getting fired. And not only that is there a way to share your faith where you actually excel. Mm. Like sharing your faith actually moves you forward. But I don't know how to know that. I don't know where to go to learn that. Like there's no book on it. The church never talks about this kind of thing. Um, it's either like you're doing evangelism or you're not. <laughs> like he's either and so I couldn't do that unless I wanted to get fired. And I, so my question was, I don't want to get fired. I'm pretty sure you want me here, Lord. But how do you talk to people like that nurse did? Like, um, and so the only way I knew how to do it was to like read the Bible and then ask God questions and listen. Hmm. Like I didn't, there is only like, so then my question to God was, cause I wasn't raised this way theologically was, does God even talk to people like currently? because I was raised, he doesn't, you got the Bible and that's it. And so, uh, I, so, so I just would get in these scenario situations and I would just ask God, how is the way that you would tell me what to do in this situation? And if I could hear that or understand it, what would you say? Do you know police work? You know, does God understand police work? Does he understand domestic violence? Does he understand all that stuff? It's funny because, of course, he's the one, the only one that understands it. But to me, he was a, he was he was maybe a tertiary source, it wasn't the main source. Hmm. And then I realized, man, like we're living our lives not even really tapped into the main source of it all. Not on any really active level. We you know we go to church and we do stuff, but so I just carried a notebook with me, and I would re- come into these situations, and I would just say, God, like can you talk to me about what's happening here? How fast will you talk to me? Like, can you do it like that? Can I do have an ongoing thing? That's just like, we're just doing it like partners. How would you communicate to me? Like, would it be ideas? Would it be a feeling in my body? Like I didn't know. So you just start experimenting. And so then when I would ask questions and I really would concentrate on being aware of like what happened, Hmm. like did, did my fingers tingle? Did like, what, what would happen? And so I began to train, train just like I would in the academy on how that works. And I learned, of course, learned it's different in everybody and which was very beautiful. And so then I just started to realize, wow, every time I ask God about like this kind of thing, this happens in my body or I have this kind of idea and I just got good at it. You know, you just, you just learn to hear the voice of the shepherd. You just learn it. Yeah. It's, and it's distinct to people. I don't know how to tell another person what it sounds like. I can say, I'm just going to tell you it's there and you'll know it. Yeah. And so, but let's, once you get pieces of it, so let's start like, write it down. Here we go. So that we grow in it we get faster in it and better. And then, and then I learned is the more, the deeper you follow the Lord, the further out he'll take you. Yeah. Like he says, you, you, you think that's that you can hear when you're up in the Galilee and it's all quiet, we're all laying on a hillside. Come with me in the conflict of Jerusalem and see if you can hear my voice. Then, then death and resurrection of Jesus. And he goes, now go out and see if you can hear me while they're torturing you. Like that's the depth of where he's taking us to like Stephen, like they can be stoning you and you hear me the most clearly there. Yeah. Wow. You want to hear me the most clearly get into the place where you're the most afraid. And so, and and so I just started doing that over, you know, my first few years as a police officer. And it was really fascinating how it worked and it, it, and to learn like, this isn't something that happens every day. 
it's it, it sometimes it's very intense and dramatic and other times it's simple little but then then i would realize wow i've asked him about this scenario before he doesn't keep repeating himself yeah like he would it would be like i told you why am I why, <laughs> yeah <laughs> why are you asking me this again like i told you i just want to just wanna make like, sure i just want to make sure one more time <laughs> yeah right and it's always and then he pushes you out to the edge and then his challenge is don't go back to zero don't go back to zero like you've learned this far, let's stay here and go to the next level. And if you fall, fall at this level, don't go all the way back down. So just started doing that over the years. And it was, and I got promoted and I was officer of the year. It was just a journey. And I, and it was, I loved it. I loved it. And then I realized, wow, not only can he talk to me on the job, he can talk to me when I'm talking to my wife. Like at the same depth and the same beauty and the same level, or when I'm talking to my kids or just when I'm alone or, and so that, that's how I started and just really worked on it. And that was all about hearing. And my question was, and I, I would, so then, then I, they asked me if I would, could I train rookies? But we, there's no Christian terminology involved in it. So that's how the police department referred to it. It was like, can you teach them to have the intuition you do or to understand hunches like you do? Or, and so then I started training rookies and it was fun with rookies because I would say, look, I'm going to tell you stuff. I'm going to show you stuff. But you're only going to be able to do this if you're in the kingdom of God. I'm talking about a level of interacting with other people where it's greater than you. And then to watch them watch the impact it has on the people that you're dealing with. How dramatically it affects the person you're dealing with who is encountering for the first time, not the police, but the kingdom of God. Wow. Because we are the kingdom. We're going to take just a quick break from our amazing interview with Jamie Winship to talk about just briefly what our amazing partners at World Vision are doing. I actually want to encourage you to go to our Instagram profile and check out the story that they posted recently of our family being chosen uh, as a family to sponsor our child, Jerome, who's in Rwanda. It was a pretty incredible moment for us and actually points directly to this amazing impact that World Vision is doing to not only change kids and their communities' lives, but actually to flip the script on how child sponsorship happens. And so it's pretty powerful. I'm not going to lie, there were some tears. And for me as a dad, um, it was just incredible to include my children and family in this process to be a part of changing kids' lives. We really believe not only in this cause, but what World Vision is doing. And so check it out. Also, you can text MANCAMP to 56170 and you can be a part of Chosen and sponsoring a child. And it's such a cool way to be a part of this process that World Vision is doing to change kids' lives. So check that out. Thanks again for being a part of uh, this community. And we as a community are so committed to not just talk about changing the world, but taking simple steps to do that. So we're gonna get back to our interview with Jamie Winship. Just for the sake of time, because I know we you go through this, but this led you down some crazy roads beyond just being a, a police officer. It led you into, was it CIA or something like that? Yeah, so the... Right. So just this, so the government, you know, the federal government got interested in what I was doing and they, they interviewed me and, um, and they offered me a position 
And they asked me, could I do this overseas? Could it work with what I was doing? Would it work in a Muslim context? And I said, what's the difference? See, that's right there is how we think. Yeah, but it works in the US, but can it work in Yemen or somewhere? Like that's harder. And I'm like, they're just people, aren't they? That's our own deception. Yeah. It's like, oh no, it's way harder there. Why? Why? And so I said, I'm sure it would. And they offered they offered me a challenge, a position. I didn't want to sign with them because I didn't want the kingdom to be associated with US foreign policy because it would dilute it. But I wanted the challenge that they offered. And so basically I said, I'll take the challenge. I just don't want the money yeah. from you. So they're like, we don't care. <laughs> You're <laughs> stupid enough to go without the financial advantage. Because you're going to go because you think God wants you to. We don't care. Tate. So that's so. But it was their invitation that got me to think out. This is how the Lord works. This is how He leads. He's like, you think Serpica was awesome? Let's go do this in other countries. So you were working for free in another country? Well, no, I got my. I I, I figured out a scenario of how to get hired by the other governments rather than being working for my government. Crazy. Wait, I learned it from Moses. I yeah, learned it yeah. from Moses. Yeah. Like what? Let the let the enemy pay for it and put you in the position. That way, when you get into trouble and they're trying to figure out who put you there, it's their government put you there. <laughs> I, that's that was my proposal, and that you know our government was like, oh, if you can pull it off. So it took three years to get that scenario to work. It took a lot of work to, but um, eventually I got hired by a, the foreign government. I got them to put me where I wanted to go. It's crazy, <laughs> but they did it. They put me there. And that, that these are the stories in the Bible that just tell you how to do it, but we don't read them like that. Crazy. It's like, that's a great story. That's a great story of faith. No, it's like a strategy, dude. That's like a tactical, brilliant strategy. How would we do it today? Yeah. And so, so we, so then left the U S in 1990 and basically we're outside the U S for 26 years, Crazy. all over the, all over the Muslim world. I, I just kept doing the same thing. The God that spoke to me in the movie theater is the one that's been saying to me, follow me and I will make you to become things you know, but it will always be in line with the identity that stood up in the theater. Yeah. Only that identity, that yeah. one, it's no different. Only it'll be great. You'll just be exploring at greater and greater levels. And so then I got overseas and overseas is where I was really challenged on the concept of identity. That's where that real. so I was good on the hearing God part. Yeah. The identity part, I didn't understand until I got into working with people whose identity was deeply their religion or their blood, their ethnicity, mm -hmm. like Muslims. Yeah. Like we're Muslims or we die. And I'm like, that's not a real identity. Mm. That's the name of a religion. It's not an identity. Just like me, I'm a Christian. That is, means nothing about who I am. Not down here. It's a name that we've given or someone's given. And, I'm, and so that was when, when I started to, I didn't understand that with Muslims. So when I started to talk to them, they would resist me and I couldn't figure out why. And I couldn't figure out how to break through it. Hmm. Um, I just didn't know how to think about it. And one day I was a, a guy I was that was training me. He was watching me, happened to be a believer. And he said, he goes, you don't know who you are, do you? And I was like super insulted because I'd been overseas for five years at that point. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I do know who I am. I've known who I was since I was 14. He goes, you don't know who you are. And I said, how do you know? And he said, because you're imitating me. Hmm. And he said, you're imitating people. You're not your own identity. You're imitating strategies or things of other people. You're imitating the people. You're imitating me. And he said, we don't need me. I'm already here. 
we need you in your distinct identity, but we don't know what it is and you don't know what it is. How, what do we, how do we know what to do with you? I never had anyone ask me that question. Wow. And I said, um, I, he goes, so let me, let, let me send you to a guy to help you know who you really are. And then you come back and tell us and we'll know what to do with you because being informs doing. Hmm. So we good. can put you in a slot, but that's how that's how the enemy does that to people. Just puts them in slots and names, and then we start fighting between the identities. And so I went to this guy, and, and it was really beautiful and quick. And he just showed me how to get with Jesus and say, "What is help me understand the names the world has called me that I believe about myself." Mm. Mm. And I just wept again. Like I, it was so moving to me, and it was like that moment in the theater for you. Exactly. Yeah. Same. And it's just God waiting for the right time to like take you through this next breakthrough point. And um, so you do that when you're, you know, it's a Kairos moment. It's a moment he's like, here we go. Right. We're going to like, this is time to like really go to this next level. And, um, and what I realized then was a lot of my motivation for what I was doing professionally was because I was afraid I was a disappointment. Mm. Mm. I did. My biggest fear was disappointing a male figure that I worked for. Wow. And it came from my relationship with my dad, but I never thought about it. I just, you just build coping mechanisms and make them things that work and you just use them. Mm -hmm. And so the Lord said to me, it was interesting. The, The guy said, ask the Lord names, identities you believe about yourself that aren't from him. Ask him to tell you what they are. You aren't going to, you aren't, you might kind of know, but you're not going to be able to say it because you can't, you don't know the truth at that level about you. You're so used to lying about this to yourself Wow. because you're self-protecting and self-promoting. That's how people, that's how we always know when I'm talking to a person, they're self-protecting and self-promoting. I know that that's the false them. And we just, we've, we glorify self-protection and self-promotion in our, especially in the West, like the most famous people and all that stuff. Anyway, so um, I, and I, so I was asked, what do I, how, like, how do I see myself? What do I see myself? That, that's a name that's not from you that I got from somewhere else. My dad, my, and I, and it was my dad. And I can remember my dad touching me like this in the chest going, you're a disappointment. Wow. You're a disappointment. And so a lot of my deep down drive was no, I'm not. Hmm. And I looked back at a lot of my ability to achieve and it wasn't like healthy. And the Lord's like, to go to the next level of where are we going? We can't have this. This can't be the motivator because it, it will not make it through what's coming next. What will make it through what's coming next is the real you that I knit together in your mother's womb. And I don't make disappointments. And I just cried. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's right. I do believe that. And then we did an exchange process, which is we call the identity exchange. Yeah. Uh, we've like, re- you know, we've spent years like really trying to trim this down to like beautiful and quick. It was a little cumbersome with this guy, but, and so I just, you know, I gave it to Jesus. I gave the, I'm a disappointment to Jesus. What did you watch what Jesus does with that identity? And he threw it off a cliff. He took it away from me. He separated it from me. And then the guy said, ask Jesus, what he calls you. And I was afraid. Can you believe we're afraid to know what God really thinks about us? Mm. And, um, and I, I didn't want to, you know why? Cause I was afraid I was a disappointment. See, wow. there it is. So wow. I won't even ask God, not at a deep level. And so he's, the guy was right next to me. He's like, ask him, ask him, ask him, ask him. You'll, you'll be surprised. What Lord, what do you call me? Jesus, what do you call me? And he said, I am. So I've always been proud of you. 
It's not because of anything you've ever done. It's because I made you and I'm proud of you. So have fun. Go get them. Mm. Like, and it just totally, totally like, what? Can we, I, I know there's more to the story and we'll jump into that, but can we pause here for a moment? Because, I mean, you've been doing this for years and years now and walking people into discovering what you just went through, their, your true identity. But I, I think, you know, for there's so many guys listening and for so many of us, we've separated or our identity has become our pain. And so like what you're talking about, we just know it as, oh, this is who I am. And it's not what Jesus is telling us who we are. That's right. And, right. You, know, you know, one of the things that I see so often with men is that, you know, whether it's a struggle, it's an addiction, it's a fear or whatever obstacles are in front of us, the, the root of it is like, we're not, that's not our identity. We're not, you're not an addict. You're not an angry person. You're not a failure, any, whatever, fill in the blank. It's what Jesus says, but that getting there, it's like, it's scary. So can you talk just, we're going to jump back into your story because what God did through you is powerful. But I think this is so key to so many men, especially with their fathers or all that, you know, performance and fail, fear of failure. What would you say to the guys right now? Because, you know, we're talking about overcoming obstacles. It's actually not the circumstance, the person, the challenge. It's, it's deeper. That's right. So, yeah. So simply... I do this talking to a cashier in a store, this process, Wow! this fast. And you, when you watch Jesus, once you understand it, watch Jesus talk to people. All he's doing is moving them from the false them to the true them in the course of a conversation. Once they know the true them, he doesn't even tell them what to do. They just go do it. Like, like the Zacchaeus just goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get back all this money four times more. Jesus didn't tell him to get back money. That's what the real Zacchaeus is generous yeah, he was. The false Zacchaeus is a hoarder. Yeah. Right? Wow. And so once the true is exposed, it knows exactly what to do. It's been wanting to do it forever. Mm. It's always been wanting. So the process is simple. is It's confession, repentance, transformation. This, it's a circle where we say truth, tell, mind change, form, change. So the, the key to all of it is tell the truth. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Don't be afraid of the truth. If you won't tell the truth, nothing will ever change. Wow. Right? But we don't know what the truth is because we're, we've learned our whole life to self-protect and self-promote. And so we don't know how to tell the truth about ourselves. This is why we have the spirit. So the simplest thing to do in confession is just truth tell. And so this is the way I work with people. I'll say, okay, just, just tell me the main negative emotion you deal with on a regular basis. Again, we can go into this way deeper, but the main negative emotion all humans are dealing with on a regular basis in at the in the end is fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what's not rooted in love is rooted in fear. Every human is making most of their decisions based in fear. That's that's what they're doing, and they can look super like good stewards and all that stuff. But when you get to the bottom of it, it's self protection and self promotion is what it is. Because the example of Christ is other focused, self emptying, unconditional love. That's his example, not self-promotion and self-protection. It's I'm here to die for my enemies. There's the standard. That is not what we're doing. So why not? Because, because we're self-protecting and self-promoting the false image of ourselves. So truth-telling is simply, what's the main negative emotion? It's fear. Okay, what are you afraid of? Right now, just, Lord, help me, help me tell the truth. What am I afraid of? I am afraid that I could lose my job. 
I'm afraid, whatever it is. Okay, so what? You lose your job. What does that mean? What happens if you lose your job? Well, well, then I would be, well, then I'd be a failure. Boom, there's the false idea. Only a failure worries about that. Mm. A per- Jesus never worried about failure yeah. because he was never a failure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, so somewhere deep down in me, my identity is I'm a failure. I'm ugly. I'm not tall enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not. And we learned it. We were told it. And if if I just talked to a person long enough, let yourself remember when's the first time you realize you're a failure. Who's the first person that told you you were a failure? Because God didn't. So somebody else did. Or who said you were ugly? Or who said you were? you know, couldn't speak well or somebody did. And it's an identity. They gave you an identity and you took it, you received it. Then you just had to learn how to cope with it. Hmm. Either So either I'm going to quit or I'm going to, I am going to spend the rest of my life proving that I am not a failure. I am a go-getter. I am, those are not identities. Right. And so confession and just, I just get people, write them down. You should, people just fall apart when you do this with them. They're so sick of this stuff in their life, but they've never said it. And this is all Jesus is leading us to is truth telling. Confess, I am a failure. I am a, I'm a, a drug addict. I'm an adulterer. Whatever. It doesn't matter. The, they're I am statements. I always tell people, make an I am statement. And so they'll do it. Okay, now, now take that I am statement. Picture Jesus right in front of you. Hand this I am statements to him. Hand him, I'm a failure. Hand him, I'm a disappointment. Hand him all the stuff. Hand it all to him. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. He's, he's saying, come unto me if you're heavy burden. Let me have it. It's an exchange process. It's, it's, give him the names that you call yourself, that the world calls you. Give them to him and watch what he does with them. So watch what he does with them. He will not read them back to you. He will not hold them. He will have nothing to do with them. You should see when we do this mm. in a room full of Muslims. It's incredible. Anyway, and then ask him, repentance, truth telling, me telling him what I believe about myself, God, and the world confession repentance him telling me the truth about myself god in the world which changes my mind what, jesus what do you call me I, i'm i i you're a you're a militant peacemaker you're a beloved you're a son you're a and then receive the true identity mm-hmm. right and then ask him what do you want me to do with that identity that's transformation so good Right. That's it. That's the simple process. That's our, that's what we do with people. Oh, I love it. Well, I, I will say this, you guys, um, you, you need to go to um, identityexchange.com. Um, Jamie has this deeper, uh, there's an intro series calling Knowing Rediscover that you can go through this. Um, and unfortunately, like we don't have enough time to go even in de- more in depth, but this is so critical. But I, I want to do this. So you had this moment, you had this identity exchange this, this stuff that you didn't even know was there, finish the story because uh, there's some crazy stuff. And I know you, there's more stories you have to tell than we have time. But I mean, I, I remember one of the stories, you got relocated to some, uh, another nation, there was rioting and you like, like God's used you out of this to minister primarily in Muslim nations, even right. uh, overseas and then back at home. But like this changed things for you, like continue the story and what happened as you realized your true identity. So I realized, so for myself, my identity is militant peacemaker. And what I realized is that God knit me together to to be in places where there's conflict and to be militant about resolving conflict. That's why that whole law enforcement is so appealing to me. That's why, because it's my identity. Once you understand your identity, 
You'll, certain vocations will just call your name. You won't have to look around. They'll just call you. And so, yeah, so um, so we spent 10 years in Indonesia. Once I understood that, then we started, yeah, I started in, in, into Iraq, into, into Baghdad, and then to Jordan, and then to the, Israel and the West Bank, and just getting in with groups of militant guys and doing this process with them. Really? And them lay, them realizing, I, I would, you know, I'd say like, what are, if you can believe, we would take fighters, you know, Muslim fighters and um, befriend them and then get them out. And we would go out in the desert together, out, way out in the desert together. And we would do a talk on false identity with them, sitting around a fire out in the middle of the desert and then go around and say, what are the names that the world's called you? And they will, and they're humans. They start crying. I'm a disappointment to my father. Wow. I, we are powerless. We are powerless. We are unseen. We are unworthy. The world hates us. They start saying that. And then we send them out in the desert to, to spend the whole night asking God what he calls. And then they come back in the morning and we get around the fire and they start saying what God called them. And when they, and when they say it, they realize we don't have any reason to fight in the true identity. Right. Right. Wow. The true identity doesn't need to go to war. Crazy. That's Jesus. That's why Jesus. And so they lay down their, they lay down the, the life of conflict. So how many years did you do this overseas? Oh, 20, 25, something like that. Wow. All different countries. And then you've, you know, since then retired from that, came back here. You guys really started going after this identity in the identity exchange, this, this uh, ministry that you have. But you still are, are ministering with Muslim people. I mean, everyone. But you're still having a huge impact in that right. that world. That's like, right. what's God doing? What do you see? Because I, I think I think a lot of people uh, write off like there's such conflict or perceived conflict or tension that it's like the the impossible uh, yeah. mission. You know, I don't know. Well, I'll just tell you in the Muslim world, and this isn't because of me. Obviously, this is because of a lot of great people out there working. Um, but there, there's, there's, there's so many Muslims coming to faith around the world that um, some of the more radical guys are afraid that Islam is going to end. Wow. <laughs> and like, if you think, you know, maybe 10 years ago, th there were people talking about Islam is going to take over the United States. It's, none of that's true. It's like, they, but we have, to, it, it's not a war with people. It's, it's you calling out the false in them. And once the false is gone, there's no reason for conflict, right? The, the false produces conflict. So, yeah, the, the movements in the world among Muslims is just off the charts. It's really just fascinating. And they're not even really, you know, the big threat in the world that they used to be. There's other more dangerous things going on besides because the kingdom has really affected them. Wow. We just weren't we were just weren't doing it the right way over the year we were using you know power and all that so now we're interested in the conflict in the u.s that's mostly what's taking our time is just the hostility in the cities in the u.s and the conflict between groups and parties so that's what we're working on now yeah wow well, so what would you say to the men that are listening you know uh, you kind of walked through this identity exchange and obviously there's more and resources you can find on the denny exchange.com website but what would you say to the men that are listening that feel like man uh, maybe as you're talking, you're sharing your own story. Like, yeah, I, my identity has been failure or fear or whatever that may be. 
What would you say to challenge and encouragement? Because I, I have this thing, part of the reason why we're doing this podcast to share stories, encourage men, because I believe if men can walk in their true identity as fathers, as sons, right. that, that marriages and families will be healed. And as a result, cities and nations will be healed. And so I, I believe, you know, uh, for the most part, many, many times, especially spiritually, men have been passive or absent or I think it's because we haven't dealt with this stuff. So, you know, as we're, as we're closing, what would you say to the men that are listening to encourage them? And really this isn't a challenge. It's an invitation into who we were created to be, not, not the, the counterfeit substitute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you, I just like, it's abiding in Christ is what it is. I would read, I would read any, you can read anywhere in the scriptures, but Gideon and Moses and their God is calling them out of a false view of themselves into the true. The false view of them is hiding in a cave. It's out in the desert as a shepherd. And God basically comes to Moses and says, I didn't create a shepherd when I made you. Wow. I created the, the, the leader of a nation. I didn't create you to be a shepherd out in the backside. And so he keeps calling us back into the true. It's abiding in Christ. That's what I would say to men being a father is a role, yeah. but to be that role at the best, it's the identity that you bring to that role. That's what makes you a great father is what's your identity. So yeah, getting with Jesus. And I love that. I love when Jesus says to the young disciples, follow me and I will make you to become. Mm-hmm. And once you understand your identity, it's like, God, if, as I'm following you, you're making to me to become who, who, mm-hmm. who are you making me to become? Because that's, that's what God wants is that. So that's my question all the time to the Lord. What do you call me? What do you call me? I love that. Stop comparing yourself to the rest of the world. I love how your journey, even in hearing his voice, it, it started with the question and then even identity, that question. And then knowing he's speaking something, which, what voice are we listening to? That's exactly right. Oh, so yeah. good. Do you mind just praying for the guys that are listening? Oh, yeah. Lord, thank you for the men that are listening. And Lord, you know, it's a, the, the world is constantly calling us names. We're never good enough. No matter what we're doing, we're never good enough. We're, we're never smart enough. We're never good looking enough. The world's always calling us names. But you are also always calling us a name. And the problem is we're listening to the world. The world's easier to listen to than you because the name you call us takes faith to believe. You're calling us mighty warrior. You're calling us beloved father. You're calling us merciful healer. It's hard to believe that you think this highly of us. Lord, would you just teach us to listen to your voice faster than we listen to the world and to move with what you call us and to teach our kids how to hear your voice and learn identity and our spouses. Um, and Lord, so yeah, I just, just encourage us in that. And Lord, when we call out to you, I, pray, I just speak clearly, Lord, we pray in Jesus name. Mm. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to encourage the guys that are listening, you know, take time, do what Jamie shared in his own story and just ask God, you know, if, if, if you haven't heard his voice before, just ask him what he's saying. And if, as you're diving into your identity, ask him, who, who do you say I am? I love that picture you shared of that exchange. And I'll, I'll say this, uh, we just scratched the surface. I mean, this, what, what, what Jamie's talking about is simple and it's not complicated and it's powerful and profound, but we scratched the surface on the resources, the stories. Like I mentioned when we started, I, I listened to, it was like a two day 
uh, retreat where Jamie was sharing even more in depth of his story and some of this stuff, which I really encourage you guys go to identityexchange.com and get some of these resources and hear this. But man, don't don't miss the window of their opportunity now as you're as as we've been talking about this to ask God those questions. So, Jamie, thank you so much for taking time to hang out with us. Yeah, my pleasure. It's an honor. It's an honor. Thanks for having me. Thanks again, guys, for listening to the Man Camp podcast. Just want to remind you, um, be a part of what World Vision is doing. Text Man Camp to 56170. Thank you for listening. We are so honored to get to share these stories, and hopefully they encourage you as a man to live alive, to, to walk in community, be known, and be a part of seeing not only your life, but the lives around you impacted by your yes to going after all that God has for you. So until next time, thank you for listening to the Man Camp Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Man Camp Podcast. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter at mancamp underscore podcast. If you have questions from this episode or previous episodes, send them to mancamp at jesusculture.com. Finally, if you've been impacted by ManCamp, please leave a review for us on iTunes and help us get the word out. Thanks for listening to ManCamp. We'll see you next time.